0: Let's begin. Listeners, we have a real treat today. Joining us today on the call is Joel Rickman. He is Senior Vice President of Verification Services at Equifax. He serves as General Manager and get this for a $1 billion line of business there. No small responsibility. He's a dynamic individual. He is also shaping the future of the work number, an industry-leading income and employment solution for verifiers. Many of you work with the work number, know it well. I don't need to expound on that. But if you haven't, be sure to check it out. Most of all, what I respect most about Joel is he's a family man. And we bonded on that note because when I was first interacting with Joel, I said, "Who is this guy? What's his background? What did he do? And where did we all go?" We go to LinkedIn, and I saw a post that Joel posted about his daughter and having a daughter that's traveled abroad. Two daughters that have traveled abroad, but in my case, he had one, and he was writing about this, and it was just heartwarming. So, bringing, I'm going to say first a family man, then senior vice president. Of a man who is a general manager of over a billion dollars of business. I think he will argue that his greatest responsibility is with his kids, and I just respect that. Joel, welcome to the Lickin' Lenny podcast and the microphone. So honored to have you here, Fred.
1: Well, thank you so much, David. I appreciate that extremely warm introduction, and I I do treasure more than anything the three wonderful children I have. And It's not just um, the opportunity to nurture them. It's really interesting how throughout life you realize you're learning as much or more from them as they potentially are learning from you. And it's sometimes really hard to give them that freedom to go experience the world on their own. But by doing that and seeing the return, both in what they learn and how excited they get about the world and life in general is such an amazing reward. So I've absolutely treasured our conversations about the family and what we've learned from our daughters and my sons in in my case, but it's great to be here today excited to talk to you about a little bit of business a little bit of international travel whatever path we might take but well, i'm looking forward I just realize
0: as we said that people are going to scramble out and they're going to go okay who is this guy and i, I got to go look at that post yes it's on linkedin <laughs> you go into jill's profile and you'll see it there talk a little bit about that post and that story because i think it was really heartwarming especially you see the heart of a dad who's leaving a daughter behind in a foreign country and all that was going on around that. And you wrote so articulately about that. And it was a moment of transparency that, We just don't get to see from the C-suite that often. And so share that a little bit of that story for our listeners and then encourage your listeners to go read this post.
1: So my daughter in her senior year, like most kids that aspire to go to college, you spend time visiting campuses and trying to plan the future. And behind the scenes, she was looking at other alternatives, although she absolutely intended to go to college and took that application serious. She really had a drive to experience the world. Part of that was because I had traveled a lot for business over the years. And for a good period of my life, that was international. So I had the opportunity and privilege to spend a lot of time in Europe and England and Australia and and some neighboring countries. And So she saw that and deep down had that interest to to experience more. Anyway, when it came to Grace, where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do? She she dropped it on us that I really want to take that year off. And she had mapped out everything. She'd figured out the organization, she wanted to volunteer through, and she'd figured out the country she wanted to volunteer at and had put together a full plan and and bless her, she even had a PowerPoint presentation to sell me (laughs) on the concept. It was a powerful evening in the Rickman living room, but she had it thought out and I I had to support her, but absolutely there was that fear factor. And I went with her to Peru, which was her first stop. She spent time in Peru and Ecuador, Zambia Mm -hmm. and uh, Kenya. And volunteered the whole time helping out kids. And in most of those countries, it was kids that didn't have the opportunity to go to school because of COVID. And so what had happened in many of those countries is the small community centers really became early childhood learning centers where kids would walk in and get help on learning their letters or their numbers or other things. And she did that in each of the countries and just really enjoyed that experience and that excitement. But sure, when I took her to Peru and, and dropped her off and was flying back home later that night, it was gut-wrenching knowing that I was so far away. But it was exciting. I could see her excitement and her energy. And so it was a leap of faith for both of us. And I I think I titled the article something, the effect of "the enough space to learn, but the support to get there or whatever. Yes. And, and that's what it really became. Having that courage to support her to do it and give her the room for that success, but being there for her. And it, it couldn't have gone any better. Even the fact that we spent Thanksgiving of 2021 with a lot of people checking a lot of air flights, trying to get her out of South Africa as Omicron is hitting. We did, but that was no small task. But all of those experiences made us richer and tighter as a family.
0: They certainly do. And when you let go and you have a daughter as talented and a visionary as her dad is, and she took off and flew and she flew a good distance. Our daughter did the same thing. I'll never forget the phone call I got from Dubai when our daughter was traveling the world. They happened to go into this particular this exchange program where she's over there with the Baylor kids. And she says, dad, would you talk to me? Cause I'm in a car going out in a desert with a guy I don't understand, a group of guys, there's a group of girls and we're going out to ride camels. And I go, she says, I just want them to know that I've got a dad and I'm talking as we go. So I don't know where to get into it. It's one of those moments. Yes, it was a wonderful experience and it was all good, but it's those moments where you have to let go and let them go on a journey. Sometimes you wish you could pull it back in. And I think when you look at where our industry's at, It feels like we're losing control of some things at times, Joe, with where the housing market is, interest rates are going, housing supply. And so I'm really interested in getting your perspective on this. But you also have a son, and one of the parts about this, we could just share this on the podcast. You could say you announce you go home. Hey, by the way, I announced on your son, you signed with a scholarship to play basketball. And I love the story that he could have gone anywhere, but he chose to go close to home. Uh, So that's a great story.
1: So, So today was another big day in my kids' lives. Yeah, so my youngest son, who's a senior- Signed to play basketball at Missouri Science and Technology, which we never expected that he would pick that. But both his mother and his father graduated from there. We're very proud of that, but did not expect it at all. And we're rather excited that we'll be able to see quite a few of his games in the St. Louis area, and not too bad of a drive down to school to see his home game. So yeah, we're we're very excited about that opportunity, and even even more excited about his energy. But again, it's one of those things that when you see your kids. Struggle is a strong word, but, you know, that decision and, and putting that next step ahead of him and figuring out what he wanted to do, we know that's been weighing on him in many different ways, whether he wanted to go far from school and how big of a school did he want to compete for and, and what did he want to do there for him to be able to make that decision and really invest himself into his future and, and be confident that decision is just really exciting to see. And we're just delighted for him.
0: So congratulations to him and to the family because every success your kid has is really a success we have as parents. We have a lot of new people to the industry. Thankfully, I'll have a lot of people that are listening to this podcast or even in universities going dad or to themselves. They're saying to their dad, the parents are going like, what do I do next? I remember having that conversation with my dad. And so what I'd like to have you share a little bit is your journey to where you're at today, Joel. Managing a billion dollar book of business is quite extraordinary but how did you get to where you're at i'm thinking of the audience that is in a university listening to this podcast and thinking and dreaming of their future
1: that's a great question david and and wasn't necessarily expecting it so i I knew we had talked a little bit about my daughter i was expecting that one but uh i I think they actually tie together really well grace's desire to see the world and her curiosity i'm going to use that word curiosity to learn more And not to just accept what she's told, but to to understand it and dig deeper. If I were to pick a word that I think is the most valuable trait of an employee or of yourself as you're trying to build out your career, it's natural curiosity. And it's that drive with that curiosity to understand why an organization does things, why an organization maybe doesn't do things and then challenge that that norm. They refer to personalities as a challenger personality. We tend Mm -hmm. to sometimes be difficult to manage, um, but we also tend to be a little bit more willing to take a risk and, and to try new things and to drive new things. And if how did I get here? It, it's it's a very long and twisted trail. When I first got out of engineering school, I was designing semiconductor factories. And so I uh, did that for a few years and loved it. But I guess tying that somewhat to the mortgage market, although I know that the mortgage market and the, the housing market is going to have a much different Overall story that I'm going to talk about. But semiconductors in the late 90s, early 2000s all moved offshore. They all went away. And so that job of designing semiconductor factories in the US kind of went away. It it didn't exist. But what's interesting is as you look at that, we're starting to see those come back. After COVID, we've seen billion dollar investments in Ohio. We've seen billion dollar investments in the Arizona area, which has always been a strong market. But we've seen that cycle back. And if I were to tie the industry to that, There's cycles. There's always up cycles. There's always down cycles. It's always been like that in mortgage and housing, just like it was in semiconductors. But as we hit that low cycle, I started looking for other opportunities and got into technology and learning more about technology and platforms that people used for financial customer service and financial work with customers through the banks and such and spend some time there. And then I ended up my path here at Equifax and Equifax has been a wonderful environment to where if you are curious and you're willing to take those risks and take on more and challenge the status quo with new thinking or new opportunities, that they give you the power to, to grow. And so it's been a, a fun journey. But for those young folks that are thinking about how do I influence that first job or how do I make the most out of an opportunity? natural curiosity, naturally. I always talk about be polite, professional, and persistent and challenge the status quo and offer new ways to do things. And I think if you stick to that, your your future's bright because organizations always want people that are looking for the next thing or the next idea.
0: Yeah, I think it's so true. And to be curious and be willing to challenge the status quo and, and to do it in a way that's respectful, I think it's, it's just a marvelous combination of talents and skills. You have a unique perspective or view of the industry and a view into the industry from where you sit at Equifax. We're looking at some of the most difficult times. David Stevens recently published an article, and it'll be the worst winter in the history of mortgage lending. And yet there is reason for optimism. that I'm looking for some of the perspective you have. In a conversation you and I had several conversations ago, you mentioned that there has been a surge of credit pulls. And if you can look at that, and then you and I talked also about demographics, which age groups are growing, and some of the things that you're seeing that can encourage lenders that are going through a difficult time right now, Joel, and saying, is there hope on the other side of this industry? Now, you and I both agree there are, but explain why you have hope on the other side yeah, of the so, current market.
1: Absolutely, David. And so the last few years have been, I, I don't mean to use the word artificially, but they've been beefed up and enhanced with all of the refi. And if you had a mortgage and didn't take the opportunity to refi at two and three quarters or 3%, I feel very sorry for you. That was a missed opportunity. Fortunately, about 26 million Americans took that opportunity and made that happen over the last three years. And that's fantastic. But what that means is now with the rates flipping and going up quite a bit. That's not going to be a strong business in the refi space. But the conversation I think you and I had is that there was a mindset that everybody had just quit shopping completely. And we really didn't see that in some of our data. We were seeing not the number of loans closing because the transactions weren't there, but we still see a really strong shopping behavior of credit pulls and a pre-approval type of stage or those out looking for credit or getting multiple quotes at times to do. The optimism goes back to when you start looking at the numbers, it, there's just a natural propensity in the U.S. population of people to move and need to move. And it's tough when the financials flip. When a, a $300,000 mortgage costs you six dollars to $700 more a month than it did a year ago, that's hard to stomach. But at some point, You start to accept that as the new norm and move on. And the other thing is anybody that's been in the industry, as we talked about a little bit before, it's that cycle and figure out your budgets and such to where you can afford the next year or two. You're going to get an opportunity for those rates to get back down into the fives and refinance and be happy again and take advantage of it. And I think you're going to see people making that move because they want that new home or they need to because they have to move. But to get to some of the specifics, if we look back over the data on what we used to see from inquiries, we now see the spike of age groups starting more in the 30s, where it wasn't that long ago that it was the early or mid 20s where people were really out starting to shop for that first property, whether it was a condo or whether it was that starter home, they were starting at that phase. We now see that's staying in the apartments or other housing arrangements is, is going a little bit later. And we really see that spike in inquiry starting more in the 30-year bracket and continuing strong clear up into the six, and then obviously tapering off. But to me, that gives hope in many ways is that the economy is still really strong. The other side of our business looks at employment and we deal with unemployment claims for large companies and we deal with people onboarding new customers and we've seen unemployment claims just stay really low. So we're not seeing that side of the economy change. We've seen a little bit of a slowdown in what I would refer to as the white collar hiring, but still a very strong job market. And with those things out there, part of it is the cyclical nature of it. I don't dispute that I think it's going to be a very cold winter, but I'm optimistic that as we start to go into next year, we're going to see people looking to make those moves and start to move some other things to be excited about in the industry is with challenge comes innovation and with challenge comes driving anew and we as a company and as a industry let's talk more as an industry but i think i would say equifax is following that trait we've talked a lot about innovation and automation and even artificial intelligence and things for years and we invested a lot as a company to go through transformation To build a new foundation for all of our systems but now is when i call it we're starting to have a little more fun we're starting to get into the ai type of tools and that automation to figure out how do we help people do things how do we help ourselves do things more efficiently and i think that the mortgage industry still has a lot of opportunity for ai around document verification and overall file evaluation from a quality control perspective and all those things that I think you're going to see organizations continue to invest in that. And with that is going to drive efficiencies. And hopefully we can start driving down some of the overall costs to originate the loans by getting those efficiencies and automation in the process.
0: Yeah, no question about it, that this is a cyclical market and we're in a cycle right now, or HELOCs are very much the game. And I'd love to get your perspective on what are some of the current factors driving HELOC usage. That's interesting. When you look
1: at HELOCs, they spiked the end of last year. They softened a little bit, but we are starting to see inquiries go back up in the HELOC space. And part of that is a lot of the big players, a lot of the big lenders that historically didn't deal with HELOCs have started doing that because they're realizing that what we touched on a little bit before, they're still seeing people come in and do some of that shopping to see what would my rate be if I refied. Maybe it is they need to pay for college or maybe they have other expenses they wanted to roll in regards to debt. There was an article today, I think, that yet again, we've broken a new record in credit card debt as a country and per capita. And a lot of folks are trying to be financially responsible and figure out ways to consolidate and manage that differently. And if I go and apply to a traditional lender, financially, it may not make sense to refi the loan right now with where some people are at but a home equity line or HELOC may very well be the right approach to get some of that security and be able to do it. And so we've seen a lift in that space primarily from folks looking for alternatives, but really it's driven by the lenders and their flexibility and nimbleness to, to roll out these new products very quickly to where if they get an application for a mortgage and realize refi doesn't make sense, but a HELOC might, we're starting to see lenders cross sell those products and try to keep that customer as a customer and, and move them down a different path that actually is is financially better for them.
0: It makes sense from a financial planning standpoint, but are there any concerns with these trends
1: that you're seeing? So I, I remember dealing with mortgage back in 2007, 2008, which was an interesting time that I'm sure everyone remembers. There are some things that I would say that I saw during that time, and and I don't want to it all say I'm an expert. I am not. But I would say that some of the things I saw that were interesting that people would want to keep in the front of their mind or continue to think about is you're anxious to make the HELOC process very simple. And simple is good, and it's going to get your customers closed. And and I agree with all of that. But what happened during that time is a lot of banks were very quick to do HELOCs for the second and, and an original, a full mortgage and what happened is they really exposed their risk quite wide. And if you're doing a HELOC on a property that has a full mortgage by somebody else that's fully underwritten, and you start to get into friction, you're gonna wanna make sure that your HELOC is written on really sound principles. I, I would just encourage folks, you wanna make sure that the debt to income is still working. You wanna make sure that you understand the credit bands. You wanna understand the healthiness of whether those credits going up or going down through a trended credit report making sure that you understand the consumer's health because if you were to do the HELOC and for whatever reason those start to go bad it becomes really messy it just really does and trying to sort that out with the property and and all those things so what we see a lot of the sophisticated lenders doing is their underwriting process for HELOCs are almost exactly what they do for a full mortgage and that protects them and it protects the consumer nobody wants to get the consumer in over their head with a product of any kind and so by taking that approach, they're, they're being as diligent as possible to make sure that mortgage stays healthy and that HELOC loan can be paid back equivalently. So that would really be the recommendation I would have is the little bit of extra effort or investment to make sure that the home equity line is written with the same standards in regards to what that first mortgage is can help you out quite a bit down the road.
0: Yeah, that's really important. And then it's really based on data, which is really, you start looking at the quality of data. We had a conversation with Doug Duncan of Fannie Mae here recently, and we're talking mm-hmm. about the concern about data and the quality of it. Why is data beyond the traditional credit report so important in the HELOC process? Well,
1: it still comes down to affordability. And often people that are refining or, or others, they, well, I think as everyone might know, if you've been checking on credit through COVID and through some of the government subsidies and everything else, everybody's credit score came up a decent amount. And the average credit score is getting closer to a 700 these days, a little over that. And so you've got to be cognizant of that credit score is that great barometer and credit reports are a great way of understanding history. History doesn't always tell you if somebody's getting in trouble or not. So knowing the income, understanding how much that individual is making and understanding what industries they're in. And understanding what their overall debt load. So by combining that credit, that full credit report with the income information and long term employment view really allows you to have that comfort level to know that you're not doing a loan that might get into trouble quickly. And we joke some about the ninja loans of the past but those those were real and a lot of folks have worked really hard to clean up some of those loans over the years it amazes me and i'm going to digress for a second here david we actually were on a call with a certain organization about a challenge they were going through still trying to settle lawsuits about portfolios tied to ninja loans back in 2005 6 and 7 and misrepresented things on the applications that weren't verified, and how to look back at that time frame and, and understand if you could verify that information. And that's not obviously something that's standardly done by any means, but it was an interesting dialogue around the the concern that these were still out there and people were still settling lawsuits because data wasn't pulled things weren't verified and decisions were made, credit was granted and loans went bad quickly. And banks had to fight really hard to protect their own balance sheet while dealing with the property and other issues. You look back and- digress into those
0: days that we had. Those are dark days. You looked at that and how in the world we got there. It's like one of those things, it's like some of the things I don't know about you, but I did in college. I go, what was I thinking when I did that? But we've recovered and we're in a different place. But how does income and employment data today help standardize the loan process?
1: Absolutely. I do want to reiterate one of your points, David. The reason I'm optimistic about how we'll move forward again, it is cyclical. But just like you said, those were dark days in 2008, 2009. That was not a fun time. And that was really tough. And when you talk to folks that managed portfolios through that time, they're brilliant. You, you learn more by the hard things than the easy things. Yes, and, and it's really the amazing experience that it came out of when people ask me, is that ever going to happen And I honestly say not as long as, as that experience base is around because they learned and they understand and they're not going to let their organizations have some of those challenges again. But to get back to your question around income and employment, one of the challenges we see, and, and I don't want to just talk about mortgages or housing, it's it's across the board when it comes to lending, is with the internet and with great printers and with mischievous minds, unfortunately, those combinations of things have made it really easy for people to get false documents and false information. So if you go to just getting paper from someone and taking it, unfortunately, the percentages continue to creep up more and more that it's found out that information's fraudulent. Either the pay stubs have been inflated or it's a totally fraudulent organization to start with in regards to a fake pay stub that's been put together. And if you make your decision purely off of that without verifying whether that information's correct, whether it's even just a basic verification of employment to make sure that employer exists and that you as an individual have been employed there, Or if it's the full-blown income evaluation and justifying and, and evaluating that ability to pay, if you're not doing that, you do open yourself up to another level of risk. And we've seen a number of clients that have come to us and work with the work number now to solve those problems in auto specifically, but also fintech and consumer loans that are done completely digital, and you don't ever meet the consumer. And you can't be completely dependent upon paper documents that can be fabricated And so that's one of the things I would encourage that whenever you can get data from the source, so obviously a credit bureau that's taking that directly from the banks and the lenders and and converting that into a report, or in our case, the work number where we take the direct payroll feeds coming from employers or from the payroll companies themselves, you're getting verified information that you know is real and is safe for you to finalize that decision and work with. And so That's where we spend the majority of our time talking to clients about why they use us or want to use us. and the the one thing that we're continually focused on is the one thing our clients ask for us david is we need you on every single loan we want a hundred percent coverage there isn't a hundred percent coverage in anywhere there's not a hundred percent coverage in the credit world there's unfortunately not a hundred percent coverage in the employment world yet Uh, but we continue to strive to get there. And that's our focus is to continue growing it. But that's probably the number one piece of feedback I hear is we need to be doing this on every loan to protect our organization and our portfolios. And we really want to have an answer for everybody that we know this has been verified.
0: Joel, you look forward, we see so much innovation. You talked about what you have brought to the work number just with your personality and how you like to challenge in a respectful way things. We have a lot of things challenging us And some of it's pretty exciting. Artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. where is this all going? You have a lot of data. What can we anticipate from the work number as you continue to innovate?
1: That's a great question. And the principles of the work number are going to stay pretty much the same. Our intent is to get that data directly from the the suppliers and the employers and, and the payroll providers directly and bring it in. And we are stewards of the data, so a little different than some other data providers. We don't own that data. We are just 100% stewards of taking care of that data and distributing it on behalf of the the source, whether that be the company or the payroll provider. But where we're really investing in AI and, and other areas is one, of course, to get the more records, which we were talking about. But the beauty of AI and the power of the cloud through the transformation we've gone through allows us to go to a new level of quality control with that data as it comes in and everything and we've we've got the the best repository out there and we have a lot of processes to study it and evaluate it but with AI we're rolling out a number of things that allows us to do that almost instantly when we load a record and make sure that the breakouts look right and and other things and flag those in in real time and, and understand that. As we continue to invest in our money, it's to make sure that we're delivering the best product as we possibly can. And it's to, again, since we don't own the data and we can't manipulate the data in any way, nor do we want to, it's to use that AI and that concept to make sure that if we get something from someone that doesn't pass the smell test, we're even quicker to be able to push back and say, hey, we either need to reload this or we need some additional information from you and work from that perspective. So we've been excited about that part of it. We also have some parts of our business where we deal with a lot of paper still. And so we've been working with AI to automate the process of ingesting that paper into a digital format and really studying those forms and those blanks and training the AI to get smarter and smarter to evaluate and read what's on those forms, especially when it's handwritten. So those are a few of the really simple things we get into. Now, where I see the, the future is not, this isn't as much Equifax talking as Joel talking, but you're always going to have folks that aren't on necessarily a traditional payroll, so one, whenever you hear payroll referred to, even at, at the government level, it's always non-farm payroll. It's, you know, farmers are are borrowing significant amounts of money because that's how they feed the country is, is they've got to have the capital and they've got to have the tools and the equipment to do. And it's, you know, they get stuck doing it off of tax forms and everything else every day. I I believe there's that opportunity as we start to almost make a, a more self-service reporting and capability there for folks to provide the appropriate t- documents and build the kind of their own record. We'll continue to look at some of that, but that's down the road. Our core focus is building the database as big as we can and ensuring that every record on there is as complete as it, it can be and as accurate as it can be coming from the, the employers and the contributors themselves. You guys are doing an outstanding job there at the work number. Equifax is just
0: the best in class company. In so many ways and i applaud you for what you have built and i'm really looking forward to what you have moving forward how can people get a hold of you joel if they want to meet you or get more information hmm. from the company i'm sure go to the website but the website
1: to- or i'm more than happy for anybody to email at joel j-o-e-l dot rickman r-i-c-k-m-a-n at equifax.com we'll get you to the right place and make sure you're taken care of but David, I've got to thank you and compliment you. I enjoy listening to your uh, podcast. There's a lot to be learned and as much as anything. And I think we talked about this in one of our previous conversations. It's always good to talk about the industry, but sometimes it's good to just talk about the generalities of life and how we deal with challenges and how we mentally show up each day. And I think it's really important for people to understand, especially people that aren't in the industry that are living and listening to these, Is, is it's a really interesting and and challenging dynamic right now. And some of the best leaders in the country right now are in the mortgage shops that are maybe taking abuse by their investors or other areas Mm -hmm. because performance is really hard to deliver right now. But those folks have just done an amazing job of being nimble and modifying their business processes, keeping the business going and adding home equity lines, products into their environment and doing those things. And there's going to be a lot of case studies when this is done about how to survive a 75% impact in a market and, and how to keep your business operating when the volume drops 75% really quickly. And I think that's something that we'll all be studying a few years from now and there's going to be a lot of people that we work with on a daily basis david that are going to be quoted and and referenced in those articles yeah we're going to be hopefully in a much better
0: place doing those studies and in a place of comfort <laughs> from the yes. pain that a lot of people are enduring but i think yeah. where there is pain, there is oftentimes that great gain and i hate that's an overused phrase but the truth is we are going to learn so much from this Joel, I want to say thank you, first of all, for being a great father and sharing your family story with us. Congratulations to your son and as he's signing and going into college, congratulations to your daughter who is now doing really well. I wish we had time to share all the stories you shared with me the other day about her ongoing success. I'm looking forward to see the Rickmans show up numerous places in high-level positions across the industry and across the marketplace. So, Joel, thank you so much for being here. Congratulations on your success and sharing some of your stories with us and your vision for the future. Appreciate
1: you so much. Thank you, David. I truly appreciate it and uh, have a wonderful evening. Thank you.
0: Hey, listeners, this hot topic would not be possible without our sponsors. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Total Expert, Finastra, Byte Software, Lender Homepage, Angel AI, Truve, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, iEmergent, Modex, Mobility MMI, and Knowledge KnowledgeCube. There's so many good sponsors here and we're so grateful for each one of them. Be sure to check out each of those sponsors. and. And their spots on our website, Lickin' on Lending, under the sponsorship page. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.